soul. It's good for the heart to hear such truth, Lord, but taught and sung with passion. So, Lord, we thank you that the things that come out of our mouths that are so important, Lord, are words of truth. You are our life, Lord. Without you, we have nothing. Even no matter we could assemble all the greatness of this world could offer, we would perish in the end. And so, Lord, we thank you that you saw fit. You loved us so deeply that you wanted to display the ultimate picture of your love and you sent your son. And we are enamored with him, Lord. We're captured by him. He drives us. He encourages us. He calls us to reflect his own love, Lord. And so we pray that we would learn and do that more and more. Father, we have many that are not well today. We have some who went home to be with you this week. And we have some that were given new lives and babies, Lord. We've seen all of the spectrum this week. We pray for those who have lost loved ones. Or maybe even this moment have a challenging situation with health in their life. We thank you for the gift of life, Lord, and babies that you have blessed this church family and these families that represent here. Lord, thank you that you're the giver of life and you're the taker of it. You do all things perfect in your perfect timing. God, cause us to put our faith in you in difficult times and joyous times. Lord, thank you for our missionaries. We're so grateful to have missionaries around the world that we can partner with. What a joy to speak to them regularly, to hear their trials and testing, but also hear what you're doing in their fields and in their communities and where they're at, Lord. I pray you would continue to bless them and provide for them. Lord, help us, remind all of us as we give. The money just is spread in such a wide way to see the gospel go forward, Lord. May we not hold back our gifts. Lord, thank you for our church in this community. You put Riverbend Community Church right here, Lord. You chose it to be in Ormond Beach. We thank you that you allow us to be a, a gospel lighthouse here. And Lord, we pray that you would help us fulfill that. And Lord, even in this year with the difficulties we face, Lord, in many fronts, that this church would shine forth even brighter the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. Lord, help us in that, Lord. We give you praise for all that we're going to say and sing and do here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, I read an article, or actually several articles, that were quite discouraging. The majority of the articles were written about the difficulty that the world is going through right now. They're written by several psychologists that are trying to figure out how to help people. They concentrated on the difficulties that they're seeing. They said that there is boredom among children now like they've never seen. They're not learning in school anymore. The article talked about how irritable people are. They're frustrated with one another. There's restlessness among people. There's a nervousness. I watched a, a short clip of a lot of our old news people, Ted Koppel and others, and, and one of the things that came out of that is there's great concern that civil war may break out again in America. That's how 
That's how difficult it is out there. There's worry. There's depression, loneliness, stress, anxiety, exhaustion. And it's insomnia, they say, is 50% on the rise. The people are depressed, they're anxious, and they're not sleeping. This has led to a higher abuse, suicide, and divorce rate that the nation's ever seen. On top of all of that, volunteerism is down in the world. People are not volunteering for things. Nonprofits are doing their best to try to motivate people to get involved, and their giving has gone down. During the middle of COVID, a year ago or so, when we first started this, maybe a year and a half, I've lost track of all of this, giving was up, but it's not anymore. It's fallen off dramatically. The article went on to say that depression medicine is being dispensed at all-time highs. People are depressed and looking to pills. Alcohol sales set the records they never dreamed they would. And you can only imagine what the illegal drug market is doing right now. Sometimes even an act of kindness will be caught on tape and somebody will push it up to TikTok or one of those other medias and it'll receive millions and millions of views. And if you read a few of the comments, it's, we need more of this. We need more of this kindness. And yet the world is so agitated with one another, they're about ready to go to war. In the middle of all this, there's a full attack on the true, the true church of Jesus Christ. Canada just passed a law that came into effect on the 8th yesterday that if a church preaches against homosexuality or the gender, um, Equal Gender Act, the pastors can do up to five years in prison. Just passed it. The world hates God's clear, of, clear view of marriage that's described in the Bible. And Satan and those under his control are waging war against God and his family. For me and the church, or our church like us, it's easy for, maybe easy is not the word, but I think for a well-taught church, it's easy for us to take our stand and say, we're not going to give in. And let me promise you, we won't give in. But it's much harder to do this a loving way. It's much more difficult to work hard at loving difficult people. It's a battle. It's easy to write them off. See, true biblical love must first begin in the household of faith. We're the ones that understand it. It must begin the way we treat one another in here, in our relationships. This blessed body of Christ called Riverbend Church, this is where true biblical love starts. This is where God wants it to explode from. So my challenge today, many of you saw the video I put out. My challenge 2022 to Riverbend Community Church is this. Can we excel still more in our love for first one another and then for the world? What will it be? 
I think it's set before us. Are we going to fight? We've got to fight a good faith. But will we love and, and excel still more? I remember old pastor told me one time, he said, just a young buck going in the ministry, and he said, you cannot have a theologically in-depth church and be a loving, deep, outreach church. I love this man. He's gone to be with the Lord. And, but I disagree with him. I believe we can be a theologically sound and strong church because that's what should drive the love of God in Riverbend Church is our deep and growing, abiding knowledge in this almighty God who loved us and sent his son. Now, a challenge like this provides good opportunity for some self-reflection by us. Are we a church that is eager to point out the problems of others, and whether that's in institutions or situations or government or education or Hollywood or, or just in people's relationships? But are we willing to point the problems, point to the problems that are in our own life? Slow to listen. quick to speak. See, are we willing to do that? This is why this is a challenge, right? Are we willing to consider maybe there is a log in our own eye at times? Are we willing to deal with gossip, lack of patience and injustices and selfishness and hurts and strives in a biblical way? Are we going to reconcile through biblical truth? See, you don't love if you don't do that. It'll just be outward. See, we know the problem. We know when we become, we will become what we love the most. Isn't that true? We really do become what we love the most. If we love money, we become very materialistic. We just will. If you love power and prominence, you'll start to be very cold and calculated. That's what you'll do. If you love the dead idols of the world, things that they love, here's a promise. Your love for Christ and others will grow lifeless because you chase dead things. But listen, listen to the good news. If we love Christ and his word, you will become, we will become more conformed to him. That's the goal. That's what God wants. I want to conform you to be like my son, the greatest demonstration of my love. That's his goal. To bring us into conformity with his son, to mold you, let the word of God mold you. Look, his love will drive you to please him. Colossians 1.10 says that there's a desire, we should have a desire to please him and listen, in every way. Man, that verse is hard, isn't it? Colossians 1.10. To please him in every way. See, this is log stuff, right? This is splinter stuff because it's so easy to say, well, I went to church. I mean, that's, that's the work of a pastor who has to study this. This is the work of eldership. This is the work of the body of Christ to say, is there things that are not pleasing in my life? 
to you. See, it's become so easy to look at someone else. They think this is what we're seeing in the world. The world doesn't know. We have a clue how to take the log out of their eye. They have the whole forest. They don't know how to deal with this. But not believers. Believers, the Bible has given us instruction. That's what our text is about. How to remove that. How to walk in love and pleasing God in every aspect. See, there will be... When we do this, there will be a desire to be in unity with his children. You may not fix every relationship. Paul reminds us in Romans that we are to strive to be right with every person as far as, as far as we're concerned. You may not get to that great harmony with everybody you know that you're right with them, but that's the goal. Are you willing to do that? If you have a problem with somebody, are you willing to do the work? Willing to say, oh God, please take the log out of my own eye so I can be right with people. See, this is the mark of a loving church. See, a loving church, what it really looks like, is a church where, where every member dies to self. That's what we just kept singing. Those songs were about that. I don't know Hayward knew I was preaching on all this, but the songs that were picked out were so excellent. Dying to self so the church would be sanctified, that we reflect the beauty of Christ even more. And a loving church means we love the sheep, all of them. We love the white collar, the blue collar, and the no collar. Do you understand that? It's so easy to love someone who has something you need from them. Can we love someone who has nothing to give you? This is what the Lord's after. In our lives. See, we need to believe that God heals the broken. That means you've got to be patient with the broken. They're broken because they have difficulties. They have sin they haven't dealt with. They've been dealt difficult things. God has allowed them to go through difficult things or their sinful choices have put them in difficult places. But they need help. They need love. But at the same time, we have to love the healed. The people who have found Great healing in Jesus Christ. We have to love the new believer, the old believer, and every tribe and tongue and everyone that represents the whole spectrum of God's great creation that comes into this building. We need to love them as Christ loved us. See, a loving church means that we address the things that mar our reputation to each other. And, and especially mar the reputation of the king of kings, the head of the church. Can we do that? Can the church love unconditionally? Look, the world, and let me say this personally, the world and our flesh, my flesh, your flesh, teaches us to exalt ourselves in the love of God promotes unity. They're on two different tracks. Love, God's love, promotes tremendous unity. Ed Welch said this, love breaks the hold of individualism. Isn't that interesting? I read that from him. Love breaks the hold of individualism. See, we wake up selfish. We're, we're terribly selfish by nature. 
See, God's love, truly understanding his love, breaks the hold of individualism. Ed goes on to say this, it builds new communities out of ashes of broken and fragmented relationships. That's what love can do. It takes the broken and it puts it back together. John is writing our text here in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 13. But John heard Jesus. John was there the night before his death. John saw Jesus get on his knees at the beginning of John 13 and wash his feet. The creator of his feet is washing his feet. He's there when Jesus says this to his disciples, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, John's there. And if you read the book of 1 John, that night before Jesus' death impacted his writing greatly. Do they know us by our love? We get reviews every once in a while. Mostly bad. <laughs> They'll come here and we've been called a cult. We've been called all kinds of things. There's usually attacks on the people that are in the pulpit and worship people and all kinds of things. Lately we got a review. Someone visited and wrote a Google review and it was just amazing. That, uh, they saw what we were trying by God's grace to do. And they refuted all the... Uh, whoever this was took effort to refute all of the past reviews and say, I didn't see any of that there. In fact, I saw just the opposite. And whoever it was gave us a raving review, and we're not here in any way to pat our backs, but, but this is what we want. This is where the love of God propels us. Because look, it's hard. Men love to substitute ceremony for, in, uh, substitute love Love of ceremony is what I'm after here. This love of outward stuff for, for what true love is. It's easy for us to do that. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Liar. You fought with your wife all the way to church. <laughs> You're mad because God hasn't given you enough money? You don't like the person God gave you? See, we substitute true love with this, this ceremonial syrup. That really isn't of our hearts. Now here's what really tipped the scales for me when I started thinking about this at least a month ago about this sermon. Christmas Eve. I got into this text in John and it, it absolutely just overwhelmed me. At our Christmas Eve, Eve service, I preached how we receive the love of God in verses 9 and 10. If you have your Bibles, 1 John 4 Verses 9 and 10, we looked at this verse, these two verses. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent his only begotten son, the unique one, the only one, the only one that could represent the depth and beauty of God because he is God. He sent him into the world. He left heaven to put on God's full display of love. Noah's. He gives us life so that we might live through him. He says, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So 
So we begin to understand that God wanted to show his great love. And God was always showing his love. He showed it through creation. He showed it, showed it through making man in his image. He showed it through the Old Testament law of making at least a temporary way so you could get to the Father, so you could, you could have a right relationship with God. And though you had to do it year after year, he was making a way for them to have a right relationship. He was loving. He did all of that. But what was even greater was that, that he would send his own son as the final lamb. So our sins would be propitiated. He would be completely satisfied in the payment Jesus made for us. So we'd be free from the wages of the death that comes from sin. That is the glorious good news of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So that's what I preached on Christmas Eve Eve. But there's a greater context laying within those two verses. Look at verse 7 with me. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who is born, who loves, is born of God and knows God. Look at that first phrase. Let, let us love one another. It, it's an interesting syntactical way that this Greek writes it out. It just has just two words, love one another. That's the way it says it. When you look at verse 7 in the Greek. But the Spirit of God leads John to use a subjunctive present verb there. And, and what that means simply means, and this is why we translate it the way we do, led us. It, has, it tells us that we have all the potential. We have all the potential because God loved us and saved us to love like God. And so John says, let us love this way. Notice he says, love is from God. See, that's why... That's why I wrote in our first point here, unconditional love is a gift to God's true children, not to the world. And there's a lot of fine, upstanding people in the world who don't know Jesus, who are humanly lovely people. But this verse tells us right here that we understand they don't know how to love like a Christian knows. Because love's from God. See, love is this gift. It's always agape in here. It's this unconditional love. Love's from God. It sets us apart from the people in the world because you and I can love people differently than the people in the world do. Do you believe that? Notice he says, everyone who loves is born of God. And you go, wait a minute. I'm not saved and I love. Well, you don't love this kind of love. See, he's making this clear, absolute distinction that for a believer who has received Jesus Christ and you've taken him and believed on him by a saving faith as the one who is fully God, who has been manifested to you, who has propitiated your sins, you have the ability to love like no one else. It's tremendous, isn't it? It's also proof of your salvation, right? Well, I'm saved, but I hate everybody. Whoa. <laughs> Let's go back and see if that's head knowledge and not heart knowledge. I mean, there's a big difference, isn't there? Look at this. He knows God. Our love says, when we love correctly, it says very loudly in a sense, I know God. 
when I don't love correctly, I have removed God from my love and my emotions and my relationships and all of those. The Bible says when I love correctly, I know God. God loves through the word, right? He gives us this intimate knowledge of him, and so we know him. We know him when we study our Bibles. It's why we don't get up here, and you've, you've seen me preach for a lot of years, but our two Brian's, two Pastor Brian's stood up here, and Bobby, just the last few weeks, and they took you to the word of God. They did not tell you what they thought. They did not make up a bunch of stuff or tell stories to make you feel good about yourself. They preached the text. Because that's how we know God loves us. So everybody, everybody tells people that, that God loves them and they know God, and yet they never read the Bible. Remember years ago I was cowboy and I was known as the cowboy preacher. And so often I'd show up at a job and there would be cowboys that drifted in and didn't know me and but heard that I was a preacher and they'd ride up and say, me and God got a thing. Uh, here we go. <laughs> so, what is that thing? They're waiting for trucks to come and load cattle or stuff. He goes, well, I see God not through your Bible, but I see him in the trees and in the cattle and all of those things, and it's made real to me. I said, well, all those things can die. <laughs> in fact, you're putting cattle on a truck, they're going to get slaughtered. <laughs> One fire and all these trees are gone. See, let me tell you about the God who loves us who wrote a complete, perfect manual about himself so you would know the God that loves you. See, what a great difference. Look at verse 8 with me. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Well, this reinforces my thought here. People don't truly love because they don't know God, right? And, and, and listen, could, could it be, even as Christians, oh, bear with me, that momentarily we step out of a right view of God and we love very poorly. If you want to even call it love. See, the world's out of that relationship with God. They don't have a relationship with God. They're enemies with God. They're under his wrath, the Bible says. They're dead in their sins. All of that is clear. There's no way a dead person can love you. Can, you can lay down with it. It'd be kind of weird, but he's not going to love you back. That's, that's the world's position. But us, we have this ability because we know him to love him in such a way that it, that it transforms the way we think and it transforms the way we communicate and transforms the way we deal with one another. Verse 8 says, the one who does not love does not know God. So I, as I wrestled with this in my own struggles, I thought, God, there's times I step out of that understanding of your love, and I love in my flesh, and it fails every time. I'm too short with my response. I'm unloving. I don't think of what that person's going through. Soon as I step out of that spirit-loving essence of God, of knowing him, we can really mess things up, can't we? Do you agree? But the Bible says God is love. You know, that's great news. Because at any moment, I can say, oh, God, 
I am not loving correctly because I'm not walking in step with you. I've now looked at my view of this situation not through your eyes, not through this tremendous love you've given me, but I looked at it through my own self and now I got myself in a mess. Will you forgive me? I repent. And you can step back into that and you can say, oh brother, oh sister, oh wife or spouse, oh husband of children or whatever it may be, I am sorry. I repent. I spoke to you not in the knowledge of God. I spoke to you in my flesh. Will you forgive me? And we as brothers and sisters do what? Forgive. See, this is the power of God's love. This is what he does. See, when you know God, you know true forgiveness. Think about that. So you know true forgiveness. The world doesn't know true forgiveness because they don't accept Jesus as a savior to forgive them from their sins. But we do, we step into that. And so we know forgiveness. See, maybe that's part of this aspect of knowing the love of God is because we've experienced certain things the world can't experience. You and I have experienced, listen to this, eternal forgiveness. Well, I'll, I'll forgive them, but, I, but I'm not going to forget. Well, that's Christ-like love. See how easy it is for us to get there? See, Maybe, maybe because God sent his son to reconcile us. And I love the word reconciliation. It means God changed our eternal position. But we're not willing to change our position with somebody else. See, understanding and grasping the love of God means we have the ministry of reconciliation. That means we've been reconciled. So our goal is to bring reconciliation to the situation. And it takes love to do that, brothers and sisters. You can stand back and nitpick at their little problems, or you can seek how God brought you to reconciliation try to do that with that issue. See, I think we know God because we know righteousness and justification. We've been declared righteous for eternity by the work of Jesus Christ. We know peace, a peace that passes all understanding. That means we, we certainly understand it, but the world doesn't understand it. We're at peace with God. And then think about this, and i got to get moving here, but the first fruit of the fruit of the Spirit is what? So, so we'll see in verse 13 where God puts love into our hearts so that we will love and it'll, it'll be effective and fruitful and it'll have an aroma that is, and it is truly God, not us. And when people thank you for your loving tender way you dealt with them, they're, they're thinking that God had a role in your life. He used you as a vessel to show them love, even maybe in a very difficult situation. See, these are the reasons why true believers can experience the love of God. See, verses 9 and 10 these just support what God's doing in verses 11 and 12. Verses 11, 12, excuse me, 11, 12, and 13 are the outflowing results. So look, if you don't understand that Jesus Christ came fully God and was incarnate to show you the love of God displayed on the cross and the resurrection, if you don't believe he propitiated your sins, verses, the next couple verses, 11, 12, and 13, aren't going to apply to you. Because they're written to the person who says, I believe Jesus is God. I believe he came for me to show me the true, full view of God's love. And I believe he forgave every sin, past, 
present, and future, and he satisfied the wrath of God on my behalf. Now you get 13, 12, uh, excuse me, 11, 12, and 13. You see that? So let's look at them. This brings me to my second thought. The compelling desire to practice unconditional love. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, this statement is, is what we call, I don't want to get too technical, but syntactically it's kind of a first-class condition, meaning there's a statement that's being, that has a motivation behind it to, to help you accept it as fact, right? Meaning it's, it, it is a reality that lies within the heart of the, at the at, lies in the heart of Christian faith, and, and every believer who has accepted the gospel should believe this. Notice what it says, if God so loved us. Now you think those little words like so are just thrown in to help you kind of understand the text? No, that's actually coming right from a Greek word. And I like it. I, I like this. It's our anniversary today. Gina reminded me as I went up here. I, I knew it, but I get up when it's dark and leave. And, and. But many times through the years, Gina and I would say this, I love you so much. Right? Put the emphasis on the so. I've told you from this pulpit, speaking from, on my behalf and for the elders as well, that we love you so much as your elders and shepherds. So God, through the Spirit, inspires John to put a so in here. If God so loved us, how toast is the word. It's a little adverb that recalls, it's recalling the sacrificial love of verses 9 and 10. And it's an expression of manner and decree um, and an extent of God's love. There's so much, he, he loved you so much. That's 9 and 10. And, and look, John's stressing the majesty of God's love here. Shown to each believer. I like to say this. This is uh, John 3.16. But very personalized. Right? So you can hear the apostle do this. He's, it's, it's John 3.16. He knew that, that saying from Jesus. And John wrote that in, in the book of John. But now the apostle uses this little pronoun. Look at this. If God so loved us. See, he's doing this to drive home this extremely personal love that God has bestowed on his children. He's loved us. Listen to this. this is a, it's a love so deep. It's a love so pure. It's a love so perfect. It's a love only God could generate. And it's a love that we could only receive apart, apart, completely apart from our own works. And it's a love we need or we perish. This is a profound love. So this is what we live in as believers now, brothers and sisters. We live in this love. I love Jude, verse 21. He makes this pretty simple statement. He says, keep yourself in the love of God. Man, I came across that this week. And you think of all your failures when you study. I, man, when you study this stuff, you go, oh, Lord. You have to be a gracious God or I wouldn't even be here. I mean, when you spend your time looking at statements like this, you just, it overwhelms you at times. And then you come to this verse where Jude just says, keep yourself in the love of God. 
Why does he have to say that? Because we're always trying to step out of it. Because we're selfish. And we don't think about other people. We are consumed with ourselves, and so we don't think of the love of God. The love of God brings us right back in to where God wants us to reside. Notice what the Spirit of God moves John to say next. He says, we also ought to love one another. See, the result of this unmerited love that is given to us, he says, we also, and that also is this great, strong, progressive conjunction, meaning, uh, look, there's an understanding to this such love. There's this great understanding. There's a resulting work of God's love. And I love John. He just puts us right, he puts himself right into this. We also. See, there's an emphaticness to this. There's a resulting obligation that, that rests on each believer who has received this profound love of God to respond to others with love. Now, this little word ought, you go, is that in there? Is that in the Greek too? It is. We ought. <laughs> and what I think he's doing there, he's, he's, he's saying, don't try to do this externally. How you doing? Great. Liar. That's external. Oh God, I on my own cannot love internally the people that you have put in my life. Will you help me be able to do that, Lord? See, this is the idea of this internal love of God that's within us. See, that's what beats legalism. It beats an outward display that really isn't true because now it comes internally. It beats an outward form of godliness but that has been denying the power of God. We live our lives too much on the outside, don't we? Concerned what people think. This is John's habit. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought to, excuse me, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. See, this is a response. This is, an, in a sense, a glorious, let me say this right because I don't want to come across bad, a glorious obligation as a believer to walk the way Christ walked. It's a glorious obligation because he propitiated the wrath of God. Look at verse, chapter 3, verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, let's be honest, maybe somebody in here, and, and maybe me included at times, says, well, that seems impossible. Lay down your life. Give it all up for another brother in the Lord. Would you do that? But why would the Bible tell us to do something that we're not able to do? See, that's what the Bible's teaching us here. It's teaching us that it's possible to do these things, but yet we have to practice love. I, I, I know I have to practice love so I can love my wife the way God intends me to do it. I have to practice it at times. It's good to practice love. David Jackman said this about this verse. He said, this is not an, ex- an extra ingredient that we should add to our discipleship if we feel especially moved to do so. We owe it to the loving Father not to slander his name any further by denying his love in our human relationships. 
We owe it to God in a sense. There's an obligation to God for what he's done, not in a legalistic way, but there's this inner desire that now comes out to love my spouse, love the people around me, love my church family, love those in counseling, love those who are going through difficulties, love those who are on top of their spiritual game, love people the way God intended us to. So God's love is our example, isn't it? Motivates us, doesn't it? See, this is where the reality of our true love for God is tested. It's where it's strengthened. It's where it's purified as we practice love for one another. You say, well, I love. Practice it. Strengthen it by learning to deny self, putting others before you as Jesus did. See, you gotta, that's where it's strengthened. Maybe you're hearing you say, Pastor, I'm tired of not loving people correctly. You've got to get some help. You're going to get with somebody who can say, okay, let's look at the scriptures and let's start practicing loving one another. Jesus, responding to the most religious people on the planet, said this, Matthew 22, 37 through 40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. Remember, the lawyer comes to him and says, what is the greatest commandment? The Sadducees have been trying to trap him at this. And then he says, the second is like, equal to, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. So Jesus gives equal authority to loving God and to loving one another. That's very important because many people say, well, I love God. I don't love you, though. I've had people say, I love God, but I don't like his church because they constantly hurt me and they're, they're full of a bunch of hypocrites and I'm not going to go. And I say, you don't love God because he'd mean you would forgive me for being a hypocrite to you. You would want to reconcile with me that you love me and you want to be in a right relationship with me. See, he's given such weight to this. See, John heard this command directly from Jesus, and I think this spawns verses 20 and 21 in our text. Look at chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God loves his own brother. See, we must believe and act on biblical truth that God has granted the true Christian the ability to love unconditionally. See, let's, let's just stop there for a moment. Do you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the full explanation, the full manifestation of God came to this earth and gives us through his sanctifying reconciling, regenerating work gives you the ability to love unconditionally. Do you believe that as a Christian? I mean, believing's one thing, right? But you gotta go get in the car with her on the way home. And with those kids. And those family members you haven't talked to for a long time. And maybe an issue in the church that you sit on one side and they sit on another because you don't want to see each other. See, that's, that's the challenge here. That's the challenge to Riverbend Community Churches. Can we love that way? 
can we seek with everything we have to reconcile, to be with, right with God and all men as far as possible on our behalf? I think I better quit because <laughs> I want to get into three and four, these next two points here, and particularly tearing apart verses 11 and 12 and 13 a little more, but would you mind if I do a part two next week on this? Will you come back? Yes. Okay, because I'm afraid some of you, you know, maybe all of you won't come back. It'll just be Gene and I and a couple of pastors. Will you take this serious? Will you say, oh God, I want to love with all of the capability you've given me. Will you say something like this? Will you say, I'm going to fail? And I'm going I'm I'm to need your grace? but by your spirit strengthening me through the word of God, I'm going to do my best to love properly. Just before I close, and then the band comes, we're going to sing a great song along this line, and I'll, I'll come up and pray at the end. Maybe write down a couple of situations, maybe an issue or something that you need to get reconciled with, and maybe it's a person. If you need help, call the pastoral office and we'll help you. But will you take a moment to write down and say, are there problems in my life that I do not exercise my God-given, gracious right to unconditionally love in this situation? Would you write that down? And would you come back next week with an open mind and heart to the scriptures to let it help us do this. Father, I thank you that you displayed your love in such a phenomenal way that a full view of your love could be seen in your son. I'm sure, Lord, Old Testament saints knew that you were a God of love, but but they didn't see the full view till Jesus came. He is the manifestation of the love of God because he is God. He steps out of heaven. He receives to himself, adds to his great, glorious, eternal deity, human flesh. Because the best way to demonstrate the love of God is for him to be the final sacrifice for our sins. It's astounding, Lord. It's mind-boggling, Lord, that the God who created us now looks like us so we can understand love, so he can die and take our place. And Lord, Father, you were completely satisfied with this unconditional love demonstrated in the final sacrifice. And as he enters the Holy of Holies with his own blood, it is amazing you receive that for our forgiveness, our reconciliation, our regeneration our dwelling of your spirit into us as your temple. He receives that, Father. You receive it on our behalf. Oh, 
see how the Father loves us so much. May we love one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. The greatest demonstration of God's love in His name. Amen.